Greetings in the Lord Jesus. It's good to be back at Strasburg. It's been uh, four Sundays that we weren't here with council meeting and council meeting and communion and communion at the Raleigh and Bank. It seemed like quite a while. And then some Wednesday evenings we weren't either. So, All right. I'm preaching this morning. JP is preaching this evening. Um, I'm supposed to bring a pre-nomination message and it would be this evening except that uh, if you didn't notice JPs are just leaving right now because they have other places to be shortly and uh, so he's preaching this evening and I'm preaching this morning a little different sermon I'm going to start in Acts chapter 14 by the way <coughs> today is a little unusual there's three among us with birthdays, but I think one of them has disappeared already, so notice that today. Brother Steve mentioned it in Sunday school class this morning, but anyway, one of them. All right, Acts 14. Uh, Just a number of uh, bold headings in my notes here, and the first one is the church needs servants. Actually, I had the church needs leaders. But I changed it a while ago because I'm not sure that the New Testament ever says that exactly. It does talk about elders. First part of the New Testament, I looked that word up this morning in my computer just to see. And you have a lot about the elders, the scribes and the Pharisees and the elders, the Jewish. Then in the uh, Acts, it talks about the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. And then a little later it starts talking about elders in the other churches. And so they're called elders. Old people. Well, no. <laughs> it's the same word as meanings old people elsewhere in the New Testament. But anyway, leaders. We call them sometimes, but it's good to remind ourselves that it just means servants. All right, Acts 14. Here you have the first missionary journey. Paul and Silas had gone through some cities and verse... Uh, verse 19, he was stoned and there, at Lystra, and there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Albeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, to and Antioch, back through the cities they had visited early, earlier. Verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So here they were, first missionary journey. This was probably about uh, A.D. 46, a dozen years or more after the death of Christ and the church was beginning and the Antioch church had sent them out to Gentile nations around about to to preach. They went through these cities, preached the gospel, and they came back through and ordained elders on the same trip. And uh, I find that interesting. Brand new churches, brand new preachers, and not more than a probably a few months to find out who has the qualities and so forth to take the lead. Well, it was a brand new thing. 
And then I'll read this verse from Titus. Paul says to Titus, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. So Titus was on the island of Crete. Paul says, I want you to ordain elders, leaders, servants in every church. And you'll notice that it's plural, both times elders. Not a preacher, not a leader, but elders. And that was probably uh, not quite 20 years after what happened back in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. All right. Next bold heading on my paper says, Why qualification messages? Why do we have qualification messages? Shouldn't every brother in the church be qualified? And we get asked that question sometimes. Well, sure, they should. And yet, I will say this, probably every ordained man that sits under a qualifications message finds himself well, maybe sometimes cringing a little and thinking, I don't measure up. <laughs> I've got room to grow. I need a lot of growing to do yet. <clears throat> well, okay, and obviously, Brother Anson or Brother Nathan Martin, well, I don't see him anyway, aren't quite ready yet to be ordained. Right, Anson? <laughs> uh, there's this thing of age and maturity and so forth. So, no, you don't expect all, every member necessarily to be qualified. If we did, we wouldn't have qualification messages. One of the qualifications in the list is apt to teach. Uh, just about all the other qualifications mentioned in the New Testament are what you would call spiritual qualifications. That one is more just a aptitude qualification and we do need to pay attention to that one too and so we have qualifications messages that uh, indicate some are qualified some are less qualified we know we have members that are immature we know we have members sometimes that don't seem quite as committed that need growth or maybe they seem more committed to their work or to hunting or to playing than they do to the church. Yes, there are those kind of people in our churches. And what effect would such a person have if you put them in a leadership role? We think about those things. Should all of our brethren be seeking to be qualified? And probably that's the wrong question. But anyway, Okay, so if you knew that some brother was angling to be ordained, would you nominate him? I wouldn't. I rather doubt if you would. And yet Paul said, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of bishop or minister, he desireth a good work. And so it is a good work, but it's not necessarily in our place to desire it or to want it or to, well, we know how it is in the world. We just came through an election, and 
rather obviously there were quite a number of people who wanted an office and if that's our desire it's a wrong desire and we don't want that kind of a person in <laughs> leadership in servanthood we should be seeking however to, to to bring God glory to serve God with all our hearts to bear fruit as best we can okay so before I got married I told my wife you might end up being a preacher's wife and the, she kind of brushed it off and didn't fret over it but anyway so did I go out did I go out and seek to be ordained I did not I sought to serve the Lord with all my heart I loved him I wanted to be in his will I didn't care whether I was ordained or not in fact this time went on I almost came to the point where I thought I'd almost rather not be because when you get ordained it limits you <laughs> in some ways uh, well yeah it does actually in fact well anyway we'll, we won't go further that way but I wanted to serve the Lord and do the things I did because I love the Lord and you know once you're ordained you're expected to do those things right we kind of look at people like that anyway and, and everybody thinks you just do them because well the ordained people do them and that wasn't my reason for doing them by the way I wanted to serve the Lord and honor the Lord and I wanted to do everything I could to build the church not because I was a leader but because I loved the Lord like David this morning he was out to do everything he could to honor the Lord yes we need to be doing that we do that the Lord's not going to let us sit he's going to put us to work it might not be as a preacher or a deacon or a bishop or anything like that but he won't let you just sit and do nothing he might send you off to Guatemala or Peru or Kalamazoo who knows and so no we shouldn't be seeking to be quote qualified and yet when you go to 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1 and you read those qualifications brethren those are things you ought to want to be because they're just basic Christianity we ought to take those things and say yes those are for me to have and to learn and I want to be them because they honor the Lord we will read them after a while by the way probably won't say a lot about them it's a little like uh, the song we sing sometimes maybe we don't sing it here but my heart says I'm in to thy will you read those kind of things and we say yes Lord that's for me that's what you want that's what I want and so no becoming ordained or being qualified or anything like that isn't necessarily isn't our goal our goal is to serve the Lord all right next bold heading <laughs> nominations so okay then I have a number of questions how do I know who to nominate well you consider the qualifications from scripture that we will read them here and again again after a little bit consider the brethren in your congregation the brethren that you know consider their approach to life is he obviously committed to Christ is he committed to the church is his family well behaved what attitudes do you see attitudes 
make or break someone for taking a role of serving the church. Can I be sure God is calling me to nominate someone? Maybe or maybe not. See, some people out there have this idea that, that, that you need to have this strong, definite call from the Lord to nominate this person. Well, I don't believe that. If a brother is a good, solid brother and he would fill the role, you may be comfortable nominating him. You don't have to wait for the Lord to call you to do it. If you know him well enough to know that he's committed and a growing brother, that he'll be an asset, well then sure, go ahead and nominate him. But you need to know him well enough to know that. Uh, just because you went to another congregation one time and you heard a brother give a good topic doesn't mean you should be nominating him. <laughs> uh, unless you know him enough to know that he's the kind of brother that fits the qualifications. Well, sometimes people ask questions like this. Well, what if I nominate someone and he's not ordained? Or I did nominate so-and-so and, and he wasn't named. He wasn't ordained or he wasn't even in the class. Did I misunderstand the Lord's leading? Well, no, not necessarily. It's just that it wasn't God's will that he be ordained right now. It may be that he only received two nominations and you need three in order to be in the class. Or he may have received enough nomination to be in the class but chose not to go through for whatever reason. Or he may have, in consulting with the bishops, they and he might have decided together that he shouldn't go through. It's very rare that the bishops ever tell anybody, no, you may not go through. It, I think it has happened, but where we've had to disqualify someone. But some people can, can sort of get all bent out of shape, but I know God told me to nominate that person. Well, okay, so nominate him, but don't get upset at God if it didn't work out. There's <laughs> don't be so cocksure, for one thing, that uh, you heard directly from God. It's generally not wise to be cocksure about that kind of thing. And this is kind of an aside, and, a, and a, maybe it's partly a way of looking at life and I've said this sort of already but, but God expects us to obey him we don't need a special calling when an opportunity comes to serve and obey New Testament tells you to do something do it <laughs> uh, I was talking to someone recently about the, they were talking about going to serve on the mission field and I said well if you have a call for that he said well I don't know that I have a call and but the New Testament, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach. It's just there. This is something that believers may do. They don't have to say, I know God called me to do that. If it's the right thing to do, get some advice from others and go ahead. I think about Abraham's servant that went to find Isaac a wife. He said, I being in the way, the Lord led me. And I guess I tend to look at life a little more like that. Get on about the Lord's business, <laughs> to serving him and obeying him, and he'll open the doors, he'll lead you through. And if he calls you to something, yes, he'll give you a call. 
We are called. You are called. You're called to serve him with all your heart where you are right now. And that's a calling that if we're doing, <laughs> the calling will just, the calls will just keep coming. All right. Along with that, this thing that, you know, I nominated somebody and he wasn't ordained. It may well be God just wants to use that experience in his life to help him to grow. I went through one of those. And uh, they're good for you. Uh, they help you grow. They bring you to the place where you're more ready next time. Uh, it's still talking about nominations. Don't connive. Don't take sides. Don't form cliques or parties. Uh, don't make agreements with others. Let's all of us nominate brother so-and-so. We, we may think we know what's best, but agreeing on something like that quickly turned into something that's much less than brotherly and probably is not going to be helpful to the church. It's safer to keep, it's safer to keep your decisions about who you want to nominate to yourself. Some people don't even talk to their spouse about it. And some do. Not that it matters either way. <clears throat> All right, nominations. Here I put this in, in this section too. The wrong person was ordained. <laughs> I thought it was going to be the other fella. <clears throat> well, no. You just had your ideas and they didn't match the Lord's ideas. Who's you reckon were better anyway? And so, yes, our goal is, as bishops is to include only qualified brothers and to include qualified brothers. And so when we use the lot, like everyone else should do, we control the impulse to decide ahead of time who would be best. We don't know that. It's just a good policy to uh, remind ourselves of that pretty often. By the way, our, our job is to have only qualified brothers in that class and sometimes that can be difficult to know how to work so you should pray for your bishops uh, here's one somebody asks sometimes can the bishop make nominations well yes they can I'm not sure if I've seen one do it for many years I think I do remember seeing one do it many years ago it reminds me of a a brother who talked about where he came from it was an, an old order setting in another state he asked he asked the actually the the bishop there was his father he said what would you do if there was only one brother named for them the lot is almost a requirement what is a requirement what if there was only one brother named and uh, that bishop said well we'd put in another <laughs> the bishops would put in one well we don't do that and you know that if you've been around very long there have been a couple times we tried to have an ordination and it didn't happen because there wasn't anybody in then what what's going on well we have to leave that with the Lord and with the brothers that maybe said no or whatever oh. I believe God can use those for good too It's a brotherhood process. It's not a bishop process. 
And that's one reason we like to have an, an out-of-house bishop in to help us, somebody to, uh, to help give some assurance that everything is done in an above-board manner and for the outside counsel too, for somebody looking on who doesn't know the people, who can hear what's being said, and sometimes we're very glad for that counsel that comes in from our visiting bishop. What if I am nominated? Some of us have been. Anyway, is this an absolute sign that God is calling me to this office? Well, no, because there may be a lot, and it, uh, you don't know how that will turn out yet. Is it an absolute sign that I must go through? Well, no, it's not. Well, that you need to work through. You should take it as God's call for something. You should rejoice that others saw you as faithful enough to be nominated. And it's true, you probably don't feel worthy, and that's okay. You shouldn't. In fact, well, anyway, we'll stop there. Consider it seriously anyway. It is a call of God. Even if it becomes plain, you shouldn't go through. God's call is on your life, and it ought to be a wake-up call for whatever reason God is working there. We don't always know what those are, but God is doing something. He may just be saying, hey, wake up, pay attention. I want you to get busy in my kingdom. I want you to be busier in my kingdom, or I want you to learn this, or, or search for what that is. Sometimes it's a wake-up call in other ways. Sometimes... I can remember one ordination I helped with elsewhere where one of the men that was named said, I can't go through, and he mentioned a rather major sin in his life that he needed to deal with, and as far as I know, he dealt with it then with the bishops helping him later, but, but that brother, people on the outside saw him as someone who looked like a good candidate, but on the inside he knew better. And it led him to take care of it. God does call through the church. Don't be too quick to say no. But neither is it wrong to say no when there's good reason to say no. And it's not a, there's not a cut and dried way of figuring that out. You and your spouse and your bishops may have to work at it together. Who knows how it will all go. Well, aren't there other ways to choose leaders to ordain? Well, of course there are. Don't put God in a box. Other people do it differently. Even other other churches even do the whole ordination process differently, and some of them sometimes are a little surprising. And they think some of ours are surprising too, by the way. Uh, <laughs> these bishops that come in and help uh, sometimes comment on how we do it, and some think we're going a good way, and others not so sure. But anyway. And it's the same when we go help them. I've helped in Cumberland Valley. I've helped in South Atlantic. I've helped in Washington, Oregon State one time. Uh, Pennsylvania, maybe. So everybody does it a little different. Okay. The qualifications. So let's go to Titus chapter 1 and read them. Titus 1 and 
First Timothy 3 are the places where Paul specifically speaks to the matter. Titus 1.5, Titus was in Crete. Paul had left him there. To Titus, my, okay, let's see, verse 5. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound teaching both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Blameless is actually in there twice, I noticed. The husband of one wife. At Minister's Week, one of the brothers said, how do we interpret that anyway? Did the New Testament allow polygamy? New Testament church? Well, I don't think it did. One one person mentioned, well, maybe it's a little like it was in Africa. The, the world around them allowed polygamy. And when somebody became a Christian that had more than one wife, they had to choose one and put away the others. And well, I don't know. We don't know that. We usually say <laughs> you need to be a one-woman man. You can't be a flirt or anything like that. Okay. For us, well, anyway, trying to see if there's others here I wanted to talk about. Not self-willed. Any of y'all self-willed? Not soon angry. You don't get irritated easy. Men, speaking about you, not given the wine, okay, well, we don't any of us drink. In their day, they probably would have drank watered wine a good bit more than we would have. Very weak stuff because, but anyway, but that easily gets out of hand. And it's not a problem for us because we all have town water or bottled water or whatever. Okay. No striker, not ready to strike out too quickly, not given the filthy lucre, not wanting money, loving hospitality, loving good things, sober, just. Okay, First Timothy chapter 3. Just good Christian men is what we're saying. First Timothy 3, Paul says, This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of bishop, he desires a good work. And I underline that word work in my Bible <laughs> for some reason. Okay, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, that's watchful, sober, of good behavior, uh, let's see, the Spanish there says prudent or decorous. Given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one who rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God, 
though he should be able to keep his children under control. He should keep them under control. Oh, not that they don't embarrass him sometimes. It happens. It just does. I had children, too. Some of them are sitting here. And yes, they embarrassed us once in a while when they did things that they knew better than, even in public. <clears throat> okay. Thankfully, I can't remember any of them right now. <laughs> not a novice. Not a brand new Christian. You want somebody who's got a little bit of experience. And by the way, we say in our circles, in our conference, it's a rule that if you come in from outside, we will not ordain you until you've been here five years. Even if you were a good Christian brother when you arrived. And, and that grew out of experience. It seemed like uh, it seemed like our people tend to shall I say get enamored with new people who come in and you know a year or two after they're there he's a good brother and we're enjoying him and so they put him in and then a year or two down the way all of a sudden we figure out why well, he never served in a conference before and he can't handle working with a conference and, and so he moves off because church issues or something like that it happened a few times long and we just decided we want this brother to be here long enough to know what's going on to make sure he's a part of us and able to fit in so that we don't lose him <laughs> immediately after he's ordained that's right I mean from other Mennonite areas I mean he's a Mennonite when he comes not from outside outside I don't use that terminology anyway okay Okay, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. And so a brand new Christian might just be a very good Christian and on fire for the Lord and all of that, but to uh, put him in a role of responsibility could easily lead him to become self-centered, more self-centered than he should be. Verse 7, moreover, he should have a good report of them that which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So he should have a good reputation with people around. And it goes on to talk about deacons, but we'll stop there. All right, the ordination. Next bold heading here. I'm thinking about different choosing of leaders we see in the book of Acts. Let's go to Acts 6 where they chose the seven. We call them deacons. Uh, the New Testament doesn't call them that here. And in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So they're providing for the widows, and the Greek widows seemed like they were getting left out because the people doing the handing out were probably mostly Jews, and somehow or other they were neglecting the Greek widows. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brothers, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and 
Timon, Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased. So, the apostles saw a problem, said we need some more men to help us serve tables. It was more than just serving tables, but anyway. So look you out, find you all get together. Well, I don't know if they got together to do it, but anyway, name us seven men from among yourselves we can put to this work. And if you go look at their names, they were, I think most of them Greek names, so they probably were Greek disciples or not all Jews anyway. And they got their seven and they took them and laid hands on them and gave them a charge. Let's go back to Acts 1. This was immediately after the ascension or soon after when the disciples came back to Jerusalem. They were in one accord in prayer in that upper room. Uh, verse 15, in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the numbers were about 120, uh, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in, this, in their proper name Aseldama, which that is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, until that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So here they had a need. They wanted someone to fill in the number of the twelve, someone who'd been with them from the beginning, with Jesus from the beginning, and they found two men that they thought were suitable, and they used the lot to choose one. And you hear various ideas about all of this. Some will point out that, well, this was before Pentecost, even, even before the Spirit came. And is that the way you do it after the Spirit came? Well, it works. We do it that way. Uh, others say, well, Peter was wrong. They should have just waited, and God would have provided Paul to fill in the number. Well, okay, people have their ideas. The Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> That's somebody else says that. Uh, we're far enough on that. Just again, they ordained him. All right, let's go on to Acts 13. 
The methodology can vary. God uses different ways to call people. God, God is a very uh, creative God and doesn't have to do it the same way every time. And he didn't. Acts 13. Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, or Paul as we know him. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. <coughs> and then they went on through their, what we call Paul's first missionary journey. So you have these, this church at Antioch, one of the first Gentile churches, probably about the first. It was prospering. Uh, things were going well. Barnabas had gone down there and saw the grace of God a little earlier, and he stayed to preach. And he went and got Saul and brought him to help. And okay, things were going well. And the Lord said, "You, it's time for y'all to get on with the Great Commission." And he told him specifically how to do it. And he didn't say, "Well, choose some young couple." like Joshua and Melody and send them out. It's fine that they went, by the way, I'm glad they are. He said, no, separate me those two, quote, leaders. Important people in the congregation, probably the best preachers they had, though Paul said he didn't, wasn't a good preacher. Send them. And they did. And I noticed again, they had fasted and prayed what they need to do that for? God said, send them, right? <laughs> Let's see. David did that too, didn't he? God said what he was going to do, and David asked him to do it in the Sunday school lesson. So maybe there is something to this praying and asking God to do what he said he's going to do already. <clears throat> I think there is. They laid hands on them and sent them away. All right, First Timothy. I'm going to read several references in the Timothys and yeah, in Timothys. All right, First Timothy one eighteen. And he says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. And by charge, I think he's talking about the same thing he talked about earlier in the chapter. In verse 3, he said, I besought you to abide at Ephesus, that you would charge some people. Verse uh, 5, the end of the charge, the commandment, is charity and so forth. He says, You've been given a charge. And then verse 18, he comes back to it. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by, thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some of having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, and so on. 
This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee. So were there prophets out there prophesying that uh, Timothy was going to do something? I take it that when Timothy was ordained, there was a sermon preached. <laughs> and the preacher had probably given him some things to think about and do. But anyway, okay. Chapter 4, verse 14. Okay, till I come, verse 13, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hand of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy. Well, there you go again, the preaching of the word with the laying down of the hands of the presbytery. So it sounds like they got Timothy up front and they had him kneel down and they put their hands on him and gave him a charge. Five twenty-two. Oh, telling Timothy things to do. Well, start in twenty-one. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one another, one before another, doing nothing by partiality, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. Now when we talk about laying hands on somebody or use that terminology, you're thinking about somebody grabbing them or something. That's not the point here. It's don't ordain men too quickly. Make sure what you're doing. I'm impressed with the, again, it's the laying on of hands involved. And uh, 2 Timothy 1.6, another one. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So uh, this gift has been given to you at your ordination. So when we take that brother and, and he kneels and we charge, give him a charge with the laying on of hands, does that convey some kind of a spiritual gift? Sounds like it, doesn't it? Well, in one sense I'd say no, <laughs> but in another I'd say yes. God honors that. And when he calls someone, he gives them what they need. And it's symbolized, at the very least, it's symbolized by what happens there. And, you know, does something flow through my hand into his head? Well, I don't necessarily think so. <laughs> but God says, do it. And they did it. And Paul says, the gift that was given. And I've watched men that were ordained and I've watched them bloom and I've watched them grow and God definitely gave them something. He did. I've also seen some 
that didn't stir up the gift as much as they should have, I'm afraid. And that's not a good thing, and it doesn't lead to good results. So, anyway. And this isn't related to the ordination process, but I thought about it. And it may be that your preacher, maybe it's just me, doesn't appear to be stirring up his gift like he ought to, and maybe his sermons are getting a little dry or whatever. Don't criticize him. Pray for him. You might be surprised the difference your prayers make. You can have that for free. God has his call in that man's life, and your prayer, asking God to do what God wants to do anyway, can help. All right, the last bold heading I have here is pray. Throughout the process, pray that God would lead people to nominate the ones he wants to be ordained, yes. The one he wants to go through the process and learn from it for whatever reason, yes. That God would be glorified. Pray that God would show you if you should be nominating someone or to show you who you should. Pray that he'll be preparing those that will be nominated, those that will be called. Going back to this whole thing of how do you how do you re prepare to be a preacher anyway? Well, don't. <laughs> Just love the Lord with all your heart. Serve him with everything you've got. Have a desire to grow. Do what it takes to grow. Do your best to build the kingdom where you are. I think it was Dwayne Evie or somebody once. Somebody said, how long did it take you to prepare that sermon? He said, all my life. And I often think about that. Because that's true. <laughs> so the other week in Minister Study Week, Brother John Slayball was supposed to preach on preparing the message. And he kind of, well, he got there just a little bit, but he kind of instead focused on preparing the messenger. And I think there was some value in that, even for us messengers who've been at it a while. Pray for people who will become involved, who will be involved because they're named or whatever, that their commitment will grow through it, that they'll know God's will, that they'll choose his will. And pray that God's will be done, that leaders will be, leaders, servants will be chosen who will be fully committed to the Lord Jesus, to building his church, who will help it, who will help us be better fruit bearers for the Lord Jesus, who will bring glory to God and will help the church bring glory to God. It's almost time to quit. Any questions or comments you have? Maybe you'd like to hear, <clears throat> ask another question that you have or that you've heard about the process. People get all kinds of funny ideas, so not that yours would be a funny one. Go ahead. So much depends on the why. 
don't forget the wife. A wife makes or breaks a man, too. I mean, just think where I'd be without my wife. So, anyway. So do consider the wife. Oh, uh, okay. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, we thank you that you created the church through the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his blood shed on the cross, for his life, for the Holy Spirit that brings his life into us and, and makes us part of the body of Christ. Thank you for the part of the body of Christ that we are here at Strasburg. And we pray that you would work in our lives. Help us to grow in grace and the knowledge of him. Help us to become more like him. Give us a heart that wants your will above anything else and help us to live that out this week for your glory. Bless in the upcoming work of ordination. We do ask your direction in our lives, in the lives of those that will be involved in any way, that it can be a time of growth and of building the church and choosing of servants to, to keep the church going in the right direction. May you be honored through it all. In Jesus' name, amen.